funny to be on camera and not know who's looking back at you. Hmm. Anyways, as Sister Sarah prayed, Lord help. Help us to know your word even more. Lord, help us have open hearts, eyes, and ears. We do love you, Lord. We know that you're the light in our storms. And no matter how dark it gets, Lord, the darkness flees from you because you are pure light and true light. We just thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, whom you freely pour out onto those that will accept you. We love you in your name, Jesus. Amen. So last time we were together, we were in Genesis 5. And you know, it's interesting. I'm trying to prepare for this, which is nearly impossible being a newbie. <laughs> um, it seems like the Lord just keeps talking. And there's so much about him that we don't know, which is okay because he continues to keep talking and continues to keep uh, showing himself. And it's up to us to be listening, watching, praying. Um, Pastor Rob this morning uh, said something that kind of struck me. He kind of asked it as a question. Are we all in? And is as, a, as an answer, we are in, but are we accepting everything that the Lord gives us and looking to be all in? Or are we keeping one foot in the world and one foot in the boat, which is what we're going to talk about tonight in Genesis 6, the ark. And it got me to thinking a lot and uh, kind of took over my thoughts today um, to, to look at Noah maybe in a little bit different light. You know, I remember in Sunday school as a kid, we learn about Noah and there's all these caricatures and all the, you know, the colorful um, things that go along with the story. Um, you know, the animals going into the ark two by two and really, um, you know, simple themes and messages. And I can imagine Pastor Kevin has probably drawn those things hundreds of times for the kids. And... Uh, it, it's just a, a great picture, you know, when we come to the Lord as children and don't get tangled up in the things of the world and just let him minister to us. Uh, his word is simple, clear, and different, which I've been mentioning here when I have the chance to come up here, because it really is simple. The Lord's love is just simple and pure and we, when we get rid of the distractions of the world, it's easier for us to accept the, the, the truth that he brings. So let's look at chapter 6 of Genesis and see what the Lord will have for us. So Genesis 6 verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them 
that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy under, from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Oh, so he did. The emphasis is, so he did. <laughs> so, again, God's plan is perfect, um, and he makes provisions to do what he feels is right and deems appropriate. Um, I find it interesting here that 
Noah, it doesn't say a word, but Noah hears the Lord, and he, he just listens. Later on in other books of the Bible, we uh, see, read of people, you know, questioning the Lord and asking him, you know, for details, and it just strikes me here that Noah is silent, and it's like, as the worship songs sort of allude to is, you know, if we seek the Lord and we're asking for his help, we can do that silently and expectantly and wait for him to answer and still go about our business and still be honoring him, worshiping him, and waiting on him to, to show himself, which we know, um, those of us that believe, we know he does show himself, and he shows himself faithful, and he never lets go of us. Um, one of the other um, important themes here is, uh, right from the beginning of the Bible, um, God is preparing a way for Jesus to come, and this is just one of those steps. He's, his main purpose is to have Jesus come to save the world. And in so doing, even though God talks about needing to destroy the world here, he still makes a way and saves a remnant. He saves Noah and his family to carry on the lineage. So, as we can see, God always leaves us choice. He leaves us an exit strategy. He gives us the means to choose him and choose life over destruction and death. Um, let's turn to Psalm 139. It kind of gives a picture of how close... God is to us, and I believe that Noah was close, really close to God, and had opportunity to fellowship with God, as we do, but he had a very unique relationship in that God was still present. So, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me from behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. 
the parallel I see here is, um, you know, there was a, the flood was coming and there would be a great sea. There had not been a great sea until the flood. But even in his preparation, um, God was able to um, impart the wisdom and the knowledge to Noah that he could trust God and that God would help him um, to be secured and to be preserved. So verse, nine, uh, verse 10, sorry. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And that's interesting because I believe everyone is born with the knowledge that there is a greater being and a greater power. Those of us that believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, we know that he gives us um, protection, wisdom, guidance. Uh, and Noah exemplifies that. He trusted the Lord in his ways and walked with the Lord and um, trusted him. And, you know, I think the Lord is continuing to encourage us every day. When we get into his word, which is what our pastors here always encourage us to do, we are able to see more of God and see more of his character and more of his love for us and more of his um, compassion for us. And so it is really important for us to dive in and to keep in there, not only for ourselves, for strengthening ourselves, but for encouraging one another when we're here in fellowship and to encourage our family and our friends and our coworkers, even when it seems like people don't agree or don't accept, the word of the Lord never returns void. So seeds are being planted. So what the Lord's encouraging me is to keep reading, even though sometimes it's a challenge and we have time constraints and um, it may seem like uh, at times maybe we're not devoted enough. Let's not be discouraged because he knows all that. And I can imagine, like, during Noah's time, he likely began to see the people changing, people drifting from the Lord. It's not impossible to believe that um, as Noah was growing up and living, that he knew people that were devoted to the Lord, but he also saw people going their own way and turning and becoming distant and separating themselves from the Lord. So at his, even in his time, um, there were circumstances where he was associating surely with people that didn't believe and didn't have faith like he did, and yet he trusted on the Lord and allowed the Lord to minister to him to keep him strong. And that's um, the encouragement that... Um, I think we should all take away from this.
Um, so let's go to verse 15 here of Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they, were, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I I see Noah in this. Hopefully you do too. It's like just unashamed faith that you know, he, he was told to build a boat, and he's building a boat, and it's in front of everyone, his whole village, his town, everyone to see. There's no water around. There's only dry land. Was he made fun of? Was he ridiculed? Were there scoffers? Sure, and maybe worse. And yet he kept going, and he did it. And he persevered. And that's encouragement for me. It's Our faith walk is challenging at times. But as our Lord promises, he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And uh, in chapter 5, we read that... Um, you know, Noah had his sons... And um, it was like 500 years, and then the Lord told him to build a boat. That seems like a long time for us, but back in those days, it probably was as short as a blink of an eye. And as we'll read later on in Genesis, the, um, the time it took Noah to build the boat was approximately 100 years. And I just can't imagine, you know, faithfully going to work like that on something that is so different that people just don't understand. However, during that time of working, wasn't Noah witnessing? He was witnessing something totally different than people had never had to really consider before, which was, is God going to make a huge change to everything as we know it, life as we know it? And does he have the right to make a change? He does, because he's God. And yet, it seems like no one believed except for Noah that God had the right to be sovereign, God had the right to make a huge change, he had the right to just decide he wanted to take a different direction. Um, it's just amazing to me. Again, it's God's faithfulness to keep a remnant 
because of his ultimate plan, which was to preserve the lineage to bring Jesus to the earth. Um, so, to kind of to endure all this, um, Noah had to be again like I said, very faithful and dedicated. Um, and he must have known that the Lord would keep his promises, that there was something better on the other side of this event. And walking with God for that long, the Noah probably saw the Lord's faithfulness even in small things. Maybe they weren't big things, but small things, and that encouraged Noah to keep going and keep doing what he was doing. So let's go back. We'll get into chapter 6 of the verses. Okay. So, verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, <clears throat> and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So, these um, people, if you think of it, were all Noah's relatives. So, when <laughs> uh, he had other sons and daughters or I'm sorry, when God's sons saw the daughters, um, so it's one interpretation is that these are fallen angels um, that actually were um, able to walk on the earth and able to live and move on the earth. And that's why in verse um, 3, We'll read that. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive or abide with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4 says there were giants, which could be interpreted as Nephilim, or in other words, fallen or mighty ones, which kind of points to possibly fallen angels. Um... So there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And what this is saying here is those men had attributes, whether um, they were physical or um, intellect, or social, or maybe everything. It's kind of like what I envision it today is the celebrities of our day. They have power, um, but it's all kind of superficial, you know. And I think what this also speaks to is these men had reputations, and their children had reputations, and they were able to wield influence in the society in which they lived. And right here, right away, it sort of speaks to the fact that um, they weren't attributing their power or their 
their intellect or their influence to God. It, was, it seems as if they were um, perhaps self-absorbed and um, kind of going their own way, which may speak to the f reason why when God looked upon the earth, he saw that things were um, going astray and going away from his plan. And that's what we read here in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's all day, every day. And the Lord, verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so that word sorry is another term for grieved. Because God knows the end from the beginning. He wants all to be saved. He hadn't brought Jesus onto earth yet, but he still offered an open relationship with anyone who would accept it. And obviously there were people that were disregarding God, discounting him, and not um, accepting him nor following in his ways. So verse 7, The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So let's go to Romans 1. We can see that even though it's not described here, it seems like later on in scriptures we're given pictures of how bad humankind can be. And if we look at Romans 1, we'll see part of that. You've all beaten me to it, <laughs> which is good. Okay. So, let's go to verse 16. So, Romans 1, verse 16. To me, again, it seems like Noah had wisdom to know that God is sovereign. And even though this talks about the gospel, God still in his way revealed truth and revealed his power and might to Noah. And Noah recognized that, whereas others didn't. And the conditions in Noah's time, I think, may have been reflected um, or Romans 1 can reflect the conditions in Noah's time. So in verse 18, For the wrath of God, or I'm sorry, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's what Noah was doing. He was living by faith. And then verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's uh, 
the reason God had to bring a flood is because there was much unrighteousness in Noah's time. In verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And the rest goes on. It's very detailed. Um, we can... We can keep going, because this is a reflection of our society today. And this is post-flood. But it seems if we look at Scripture, there are cycles. And, you know, God gives people choice. Then he judges, but he leaves a remnant. And he gives people the way of righteousness and shows them the way people sort of especially Israel they took they start to take the way they repent they they realize their wrongs they go for a while and then all of a sudden there's a downward slide and I think we see that even in our generations here we have a few generations represented here um, and I think every generation can attest to the fact that there seems to always be a downward slide and Suffice it to say, it's likely attributed, one, to a lack of having God, an understanding of him, a lack of faith in him, a lack of willingness to follow him. So this kind of sounds like today. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's go into chapter 2 for just a verse or two. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are to judge, or I'm sorry, whoever you are, who 
who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. So this, I see Noah here. People are judging him, saying, are you crazy? What are you thinking? You're building this boat. We're in the middle of, you know, dry land. There's no, there probably was like the, <laughs> a little pond where they drew water or took the animals to get water. But I can just see and hear and kind of imagine what he was going through here. And this reminds me of that. In verse 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, who, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And this is it, right? So the ark was the escape. And Noah built it. He built it to God's specifications. God gave specifications. And undoubtedly, there was room if other people had accepted him and had heeded the word. And for sure, Noah was telling his friends, you know, God has told me to do this. And for people not to be able to put two and two together, doesn't that kind of speak to today? It's like, you see things happening and people want to go certain ways and institute laws and have us accept things that are not biblical, they're not good for us, they're not healthy, and yet it's like they're blind. And I pray that we continue to allow the Lord to open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts especially. Um, People that accept lies are still looking for something. If they didn't accept the truth, they've accepted lies. And God help us to be those lights that he wants us to be in our circles of influence and to have the truth ready to tell. Not to force it on people, but to be ready to have the answer of the truth that lies within us, just like scripture says. Um, okay. So let's go to Psalm fourteen. more so the Bible is really good at telling us how unrighteousness it differs from righteousness and many of the Psalms talk to this so let's start with verse 1 and hopefully you all have heard this verse so Psalm 14 verse 1 the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. 
the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And you see, that's in this um, chapter 6, the Lord was looking down. He'd always been looking down. He looks upon us like a good father would um, to kind of keep us from harm, to remove some obstacles, sometimes to put some obstacles in our way just to see how we will react. Um, but he always looks upon um, his creation with favor. And so it says, to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. And that's Noah. He preserved Noah to preserve the remnant of righteousness. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And that's exactly what God's plan was, was to bring salvation out of Zion, which is Jesus, and to bring him out of Israel. And that's Jesus. <laughs> Let's skip skip over a few pages and go to Psalm 50, which again talks about this. So Psalm 50, verse 1, the mighty one. God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Again, it, this kind of parallels to what Noah was doing. He was sacrificing his time, uh, physical effort, um, using God's resources to begin construction of the boat. And in the process, um, he was being saved from everything else going on around him. And it seems like that's what the Lord wants us to be mindful of. The more we commune with him, the more that we allow ourselves to kind of get lost in imagining what the Lord is like he will confirm um, who he is and what he wants for us to us. It's just a matter of us accepting his truths and being willing to allow these um, truths to be the very foundation of our of our walk. 
Okay. Let's go to Proverbs. Sorry, I'm going to take you through a whole book journey today. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so Proverbs 1. So in thinking about this, even though this was written by Solomon, a lot of the truths had been handed down from David. And it's my imagination, and it's probably scriptural too, I just don't know what the reference is right now, but um, that through his fathers, through Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, the Lord's truths have always been handed down generation to generation. So I can imagine that, you know, the the significant characters in previous generations, um, the elders of, of the villages would talk about them. And to me... Um, you know, if Noah found, if Noah was found um, pleasing to God, Noah must have been exhibiting some of these characteristics that we'll read about right now. So Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So verse 8, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. Stepping back here, verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Can you imagine people in verse 11, if they say, come with us, <laughs> I can just see it and hear it. Like people telling Noah, come on, that effort, isn't, it isn't going to pay off. Why don't you just come, eat, drink, and be merry, and what's the rest of it? And then we die, right? So... <laughs> Imagine if he hadn't been faithful and been persistent and shunned bad counsel, like this says. He wouldn't have completed the ark the way he was supposed to. I mean, God could have certainly risen up another Noah, but um, it's, it, it just speaks to me that, 
you know, we get all these influences from the outside world, from TV, radio, our workplaces, books we read. Are we really choosing the right and and healthy material to feed ourselves? And that's what this book is. This is the right and healthy material to feed ourselves. Let's go to Proverbs 9. A couple pages over. I'm sorry, Proverbs 8. A couple towards the, towards the end. Well, let's start with Proverbs 8. <laughs> Verse 1. I had other verses highlighted, but you know what? I think the whole proverb is good. So verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call. And my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, Understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. And I, I just get a picture of Noah here, just speaking the truth, saying, God told me to build this, I'm going to go out and do it. I don't know, you know, anything but that. Just he's being obedient, and all the while, as this thing is starting to take shape, these people are seeing it, and as it's being built, it is still the Lord calling out. It's a physical representation of the Lord calling out to these people to accept him and to choose life and not destruction. It's just. It's amazing. So, um, so verse 7 still. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. In verse 8. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. And that's exactly what Noah did. He found God. He knew God. He walked with God. And out of that, he was the instrument that God used to build the ark and to successfully build it. Well, let's go to the end of Proverbs 8. 
Verse 25. Start there. Proverbs 8, 25. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. And that's speaking of Jesus. Well, as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and those who hate me love death. And let's continue into Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meal. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness, and live, and go in the way of understanding. And the next few verses, I just I can picture Noah. At first, I can imagine he may have tried to talk to his friends and neighbors and to tell them, you know, no, you got to believe, you got to believe this is going to happen. But after so many times of saying that, I wonder if he just silently went to work every day, got up every day, worked on the ark, along with everything else he probably had to do, providing food for his family and doing chores around the house. But this is, it seems like it speaks to that here. Verse 7, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a man, a wicked man, only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And then verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, for by me your ways will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. It just seems like that's the path Noah followed. He accepted instruction from the Lord. He became wise and was able to persevere through um, the adversity. And... You don't have to turn here, but um, Micah 6.8 is a verse that seems to remind me of Noah. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And to me, that's just another reflection of how Noah um, carried out his life. Um, 
let's go back to Genesis 6. And we'll pick up at verse 13. And God said to Noah, and again, if God is talking, he's been heard. So that means Noah's listening. So God says, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So one interpretation of the word rooms I found was actually nests. So not only was he making compartments and living quarters for people, but he was fashioning areas, nesting areas for the animals. I thought that was pretty cool. So the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. I've heard other teachings I should be good at math, but I didn't do the math on this one. I'm going to take for granted that the other teaching I heard is accurate. That this is about the size big enough to hold like 500 railroad cars. That's a lot of space. And if it's three floors, I mean, he could have easily made, um, you know, based on the type of animal could have segregated animals, not had to um, like have, have unclean conditions, let's say, um, all over the ark. He could have separated them into certain compartments and made it more organized to be able to take care of all of these animals during that time. Um, all I can say is it's huge. <laughs> so... You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door in the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And get this in verse 18. So if Noah's listening to the Lord, and he's paying attention, this is key but whenever God says but we should pay attention I will establish my covenant with you a covenant that's a promise so if Noah was fully trusting the Lord he would know right here that the Lord was making a promise and wasn't going to renege on it so you shall go into the ark you your sons your wife and your sons wives with you and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And again, right back to the earlier chapters of Genesis, there's a reason for male and female. Procreation, for God to be able to um, see uh, the perpetuation of all the animals and even the the perpetuation of humankind there were two of each male and female husband and wife and each animal everything had male and female and every kind and I've heard numbers of teachings that say um, you know if if we use our imaginations 
Noah didn't necessarily have to bring uh, each fully grown adult animal with him. He could have brought juveniles. So it is entirely possible that dinosaurs survived the flood and larger animals survived the flood if Noah brought juveniles. And I can't argue that. There isn't any reason to argue that. It's entirely possible that that's what he did. And I find it interesting that um, at first God says he will bring the animals, but then he says that the birds and other things will come. So it's almost like there's a progression here. Like at first Noah was instructed to round up animals. So he probably had a choice in what he could bring. But then, as far as birds and other things, it seems like God decided which of those. And I wonder because I've actually had a few birds as pets, and they're not easy to control. <laughs> Larger animals are easy to tame. Dogs, even cats, sometimes obey. It depends on their personality, but if you've ever had a bird, you don't have any control. <laughs> At least I didn't. Now, maybe others are bird whisperers or whatever, and they can, but I didn't have good, uh, I had an enjoyable time with them, but there was no way I was going to tame those birds. <laughs> um, to close up, I wanted to have us go to um, Deuteronomy because the theme here in Deuteronomy 28 is the blessings of obedience. And I'm going to quickly, hopefully, try to get across Deuteronomy 28 through 32 in eight minutes. <laughs> or you guys can indulge me a little bit. Um, we'll go over highlights. But you'll, I hope you'll see where where I believe the parallels are here. So if you start with me in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, Noah was hearing God's voice. So if you Diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today. This is Moses speaking. That the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of your God. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which you, the Lord your God is giving you. So what I see a parallel here is to what's happening with Noah is God is preparing a brand new 
land for Noah. But he's preserving him to have flocks and to have food and to be able to establish himself and build a city. It's just that he's preparing him. And in Noah's obedience, he's going to be blessed and God's going to protect him and save him. Um, so let's go to the opposite of this. Let's go to verse 45, same chapter, 28. So some the curses are talked about earlier and the verses are ahead of this but this is kind of the culmination so verse 45 moreover all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey obey the voice of the lord your god to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you so i can see all the multitude of the population around um noah they weren't heeding his voice. They did not obey. They were given chances, but they just didn't obey. And as a result, the consequences happened. And verse 47, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. And that just speaks to me as being Noah. I'm sure he didn't have like a stellar day every single day, 24-7. But on the whole, um, as he was walking with the Lord and he was seeing the fruit of his hands, the labor of his hands, um, it just goes without saying that there must have been joyful days. And he was praising the Lord that the Lord had a plan for him and he was realizing what that plan was. So let's go over to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. So verse, chapter 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. And this is the prophecy, or the, the plan for Israel um, later, which we know has occurred. Um, but the parallel um, to me here is that the Lord still had the same promise to Noah that um, Initially, as he's building the boat, people were scattering. Perhaps some of his own family members were um, just naysayers and, and wouldn't believe. And so they were scattering from him, probably um, putting some distance between 
themselves and Noah, especially if they thought Noah was had lost his marbles. <laughs> um, but in the end, um, they were proven to be wrong, and Noah was proven right, and he was found righteous. Um, so here, verse 6, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And to me, that speaks to Noah. He allowed his heart to be um, softened and led by the Lord. And regardless of what was happening around him, he just persevered and allowed that love to conquer everything else that was around him. So, verse 9. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So even though Noah didn't have this book, the statute of love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul was still there. And that's what he practiced. And then verse 11. So this section is titled The Choice of Life or Death. And this is what, where I wanted to get to. So thank you for your patience. So verse 11, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? My, the picture I'm getting is Noah realizes water, like he, I'm sure he couldn't comprehend a lot of this, but the Lord gave him enough wisdom to at least understand and persevere and trust that there would be a promise um, that even though the waters would rise and there would be a great sea, the Lord would bring him through it. So verse 14, But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death, and evil. And that's like a black and white picture. And I am I just can imagine that that's what Noah was seeing. He's like, okay, it's good that I'm going to have a boat and I'm going to be protected from this great flood and my family's going to be protected. God's going to lead me and guide me and help me. But at the same time, he's seeing and recognizing that everybody else is going to perish So verse 16, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to go in and possess. 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And that's what Noah did. Noah chose life. He chose life in God. At that time, we can choose life in Jesus. And that's what saves us. And that's what gives us a hope for a brand new day, brand new eternal life with him. It's challenging, you know, the way the world is going right now to keep our eyes open, our hearts open, and our imaginations vivid, like to allow the Lord to paint all these great pictures of what's to come. Like Mary pondered everything that the angel told her in her heart about what was to come. The Lord's encouraging us to ponder all of his word and everything he shares with us. He doesn't have to give us all these details. Is it too hard to accept that Jesus paid the price for our lives, our very lives, our eternal lives, our destiny? A joyous life, a joyous eternity. It's easy. We just have to be willing. So I pray everyone here has. I think I think we all have. I know every one of you. And I just can't wait to share and fellowship with each one of you at our Lord's table. So thankful that he gives us that. And pray that each one of us would be more willing and open to share our faith with others when given the opportunity. Pray that we have boldness and strength to do so. So thanks for your patience. I ran a little bit over, but let's let's pray and we'll close. Father, thank you so much for giving us instructions to live the way you would have us to live, Lord, ambassadors of you and such a simple book of instructions with a lot of detail in areas, Lord, and yet your message is just clear and simple that you love each one of your created beings, Lord. And we thank you that you've fearfully and wonderfully made us, that you've know, known every aspect of us, every cell. You know our end from the beginning, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take full advantage of each day, to glorify and honor you, Lord, in everything we do, say, and think. And thank you, Lord, that you're never far away from us. When we recognize we've slipped up, all we have to do is ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and turn back to you. We thank you, Lord, that that act of repentance is so freely available. And that when we do that, Lord, that you just forgive us and you put our sins as far as the east is from the west. We thank you for your beautiful plan. We thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Pray, Lord, that 
each one of us would ponder all of the things that you've spoken to us tonight through your word. Pray for safe travels for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Pray for those who are listening online, Lord, that you also spoke to them. Pray, Lord, that we would continue to seek your face, to humble ourselves, and to pray, and that you would shine brightly through us, in us. Pray, Lord, that we could grab the peace that passes all understanding thanks to you, Lord. Please just come into our hearts, Lord. Continue to change us and form us the way you want us to be. And thank you for this night. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.